We're working through a series through the book of Proverbs right now, and we've subtitled this series, Life Lived Full. So I've got this from Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon, King Solomon of Israel, the most wise king of all Israel, writes the book of Proverbs, or most of the book of Proverbs, and he's writing it as a means to instruct his son, his children, to remember his teaching, and here's where I'm getting the subtitle, for it would bring him many days a full life and well-being. And so one of the regular teachings that you see throughout Proverbs, so there's a lot of themes that you see throughout the book of Proverbs where Solomon is bringing this wisdom to his son and then ultimately to us as well about what it looks like to live a full life. This man that has lived and experienced many things comes and he's sharing this wealth of knowledge with his sons. He's saying, look, if you want to live a full life, then follow my instruction and it's going to guide you to that full life. And so one of the qualities that you see regularly, one of the regular themes you see throughout Proverbs is the quality of integrity. So integrity isn't a hot topic for today. Amen. How many of you are jazzed up to hear about integrity tonight? Yeah. Yeah. You came in this, this evening, I almost said this morning, this, this evening, came in this evening, it's like integrity. That's where we need to land for tonight, right? That's where you're at. Probably not, all right? But here's the thing, every single one of us want people to be of integrity, right? Like whenever it comes to conducting your own life and your business, we have an expectation that people are gonna function out of a place of integrity. And when they don't, we get peeved, right? Like we get upset. We get frustrated with other people whenever they don't follow through with their word or we don't think that they can be held accountable or there's not a sense of responsibility. We don't like it. But here's here's the issue, all right? For us as a society, we don't have a great plan for how we foster and cultivate integrity within young people in our society today. We, we don't have this sense of a, a plan for how we're helping raise up and develop and help people think through how they live a life of integrity. In fact, we have placed most of our emphasis on other things. So David Brooks is a writer. He usually, usually writes for the New York Times. He wrote a book called The Road to Character. And here's what he has to say. He says, most of us have clearer strategies for how to achieve career success than we do for how to develop a profound character. And he states that this is the case because we've emphasized what he, what he categorizes as Uh, resume virtues over eulogy virtues, all right? So resume virtues are those that you put on a resume, hence the name resume virtues. And these are the skills that you bring to a job that prove that you'll have external success whenever you go to said job, all right? So these are the things that you're listing out on a resume that would make you a hireable candidate for somebody because you want to prove to them that if they hire you, that you're going to bring success to their company. And so these are the things that our society has largely emphasized, and I'll give you some examples here in a second. Eulogy virtues, on the other hand, are the ones we talk about at, a, at people's funerals, hence eulogy virtue. They exist, um, they, uh, the, they're trying to characterize um, the core of a person's being, like whether you're kind or whether you are brave 
or the type of relationships that you've cultivated, if you're a faithful person. These are sort of the eulogy virtues that have been lowered on the totem pole because of the emphasis that we place on resume resume virtues. And so here's a couple of ways that our society really has highlighted and emphasized the resume virtues over eulogy virtues. You see this in our educational systems. So if you're thinking about just a college application, what are the major priorities for a college application whenever you're listing what and why you are a good candidate for a college? It's standardized tests, it's GPAs, and then the extracurriculars that you did as you were in high school making your way into college. These are a lot of the things that make you a desirable candidate to be brought into university because they want to foster more of these skills to develop you for the world. You also see this in public discourse, just the normal day-to-day things. I mean, if you go to the New York Times bestseller for nonfiction, the things that you're often gonna find are self-help books that are up towards the top. And even if it is something about a person's character or virtue, Uh, about self-actualization, the latter half of the title usually is showing how this brings success to your life if you were to step into the cultivation of said authenticity or self-actualization that's in the book title. We put a lot of emphasis on external success but have really lowered the scale when it comes to personal character or integrity in the life of our society. We don't have a great path towards it. And so what's the result? Well, David Brooks, he sort of summarizes his first chapter saying this, we do not have a strategy to build character and both internally and externally, our lives eventually fall to pieces. And so Solomon, we're looking at the book of Proverbs. He argues that if you want a full life, so our society says you want a full life, focus on the resume virtues. These are the things that are gonna If you have hopes for happiness, these are the things that are going to deliver, that are going to bring you said happiness in this life. But Solomon says, no, if you really want to focus on a life lived full, one of the qualities that you must go after, that is essential to live a life lived full, is that of integrity. We see this in Proverbs 20, verse 7. He says this, a righteous person acts with integrity, and then look at this. His children who come after him will be happy. So not only does it bring you joy and pleasure and happiness in this life, but it trickles down even to your kids. The joy that is an overflow of your own life trickles down to your children as well. And so here's what I want us to do tonight, all right? Our 11 verses, they deal heavily with this theme of integrity, but we only really see it pop up in one particular verse, and that is verse three. It says this, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the perversity of the treacherous destroys them. So I want us to spend a lot of time dissecting verse three, and then we're gonna look and glance around at the other verses to help bring a fuller picture to this idea of integrity. And so if you're a note taker, here's where we're headed, all right? I'm gonna give you a definition. What is integrity? And then secondly, I'm gonna give you a vision. Where does integrity lead? What's the destination? And then the third one, I'm gonna give you an application. How do we live by it? How do we live by integrity? All right, so let's start first with the definition, all right? 
So if I, I'm bringing you a definition, I think if any of us were to try to build a definition, this would be a lot of the terms would uh, fall within this definition that's going to be up on the screen. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles or moral uprightness, all right? Most of us, if we're trying to build a definition, a lot of it would be in this, right? Give me a shake of the head if you agree. So a lot of it would be in this. And we see a lot of the same terminology in verse three that we just read, all right? So the integrity of the upright guides them. So we see uprightness in verse three. You have upright. It guides them that they have strong moral principles, meaning that there's guidance in the way that they live their life. And so we see a lot of the same terminology or at least a lot of the same thoughts between the said uh, definition and verse three. But if you really begin to dig around, with what this word integrity means. If you look at the roots of this word in the original language that Solomon was writing in, which was the Hebrew language, you learn there's a bit more of a weight to this word than what we have in our common day society. So the Hebrew word here is tamah, all right? So say that with me. I'm, I'm not the only one that has to struggle with trying to learn and read through this stuff, all right? So you're gonna have to say it with me, tamah. Good job. That was amazing. Y'all are awesome. You're better at language than I am. So the roots of this word, tama, are the roots of this word mean this. One, like a oneness or a wholeness or a perfection or a completeness. So there's, there's this continuity that comes with this word integrity. There's a wholeness, a completeness to it. So when Solomon writes of integrity here, he's not just speaking of a strong moral compass that guides a person's life. He's speaking of a wholeness that is consistent no matter the circumstance or the situation that you walk into. You are you, no matter the circumstance that the, that life brings to you, whether it's a storm that's hitting you, it's a high or a low, you are a whole person there's a completeness to you. You're a oneness. You're not a fragmented life, but you're a whole life. And that same wholeness comes with you in any situation that you step into, no matter what life is throwing at you. That's what, what Solomon is bringing out here. Now, if you contrast this to the latter half of verse three, verse, the latter half says this, but the perversity of the treacherous destroys them, all right? So this word perversity here is oftentimes translated duplicity in many other translations, meaning that this person that is duplicitous, you're not always the same person whenever life circumstances come your way. So if you're, you're experiencing a high, you may come across as one particular person, but if life gets really hard and difficult, challenging things come your way, or you get around certain people in your life, or you get around certain groups and you know that they have certain leanings that maybe you're a little bit different from your leaning, you'll lean a little bit towards them and you act a little bit more different whenever you're around them. And then you get around a different group and you know that they have different leanings and so you try to adapt a little bit to them. This is duplicity. You're, you're not a whole person. You're trying to adapt and you're trying to really go with the leanings of whoever you're with because you want to fit in with the crowd and you're not being the same person in each of the, the different situations and circumstances that may come about in your life. And Solomon is saying that the upright are not like this. 
there is a consistency that the same whole person is unshaken by the circumstances that happen around them and sometimes even in them. And the wholeness that they experience is actually the guide in their life. This integrity is the guide by which they live. So if you really step back and you look at this, all right, there's a couple of different factors into whenever you're looking at just what does integrity mean in the Hebrew language, particularly in verse three, there's an external factor as well as an internal factor that Proverbs is getting at when it comes to integrity. So it's how other people experience you, but also the inner makeup that you possess in your own life. So Here's sort of like a working definition for us, all right? Integrity, try to bring this together and then I'm gonna give you, try to give you an illustration that helps kind of draw out what we're trying to get at. So here's the definition. You bring the same you, the whole you, regardless of the circumstance. That's what integrity is. You bring the same you, the whole you, regardless of the circumstance, all right? Now, C.S. Lewis He was really helpful for me this week as I was really wrestling through with this because there's a lot to this, all right? There's a lot of depth to this and I'm like a pretty shallow person, all right? So it's like, I need C.S. Lewis to help me out. He thinks deeply and so I need his help. And so here's what he had to say, all right? Me trying to wrap my head around this. He says that there's departments by which we need to think about integrity. Like we just said, there's an external factor, there's an internal factor and he's trying to bring this out. So he says, the first external is the relations between man and man. All right, this is the external aspect. Then he says there's things inside each man which are the internal factor that he's talking about. And so he tries to give an image of what he's talking about here. And so he talks about this fleet of ships, all right? So I got a, a picture up here of a fleet of ships, all right? And so here's how he says this works. So you, you have the fleet sailing in formation, all right? And this represents the harmony and the relations between man and man. And so we think of integrity in terms of the relationship between man and man, this harmony that we coexist. And so if you have a fleet of ships, this is a little pixelated, so that's my bad, but hopefully you can see it a little bit. Um, you, You have this fleet of ships that's moving forward and there needs to be harmony, right? For there to be, for this to be like a, a fleet that's moving in the same direction, there needs to be some continuity to them. And so the way that that happens is there's a relation, they relate with one another, there has to be a harmony with one another where one's not drifting or they're not moving in and colliding towards one another, right? So if you want, if you want some harmony between these things, if you want to have integrity moving forward, then you need to have harmony between the fleet of ships, the relationship between man and man in order for this thing to move forward. And so here's some of the ways that we, we talk with this language, some of the ways that we think about this in our life, all right? So when we're thinking about this, we, we say things like this. It can't be wrong because it doesn't do anyone else any other harm. You know what I'm saying? So like, I can do whatever I want in this sphere as long as it's not affecting the other person in my life. If it's not bringing harm to them, then it's okay for me to move forward and do that. Or we say something like this. Well, it was consensual. I was upfront, like I, I stated that I wanted it, they stated that they wanted it, 
and we're upfront about it at the very beginning. We're open and honest about it. And so because there is consensual, there is a consensual relationship here, then it doesn't affect the harmony between the ships that's happening here. We can continue to move forward. We can continue to have harmony as we move forward in this life. And it makes sense that we start here, all right? It does. It makes sense that we start here because of the results that if there is a collision, if someone is drifting, if there is someone that's drifting towards somebody else and there's a collision, the, the effects of that are felt in this life. So lying, the relationship between a, a one person and another person is broken if lying takes place. The, the effects of that are obvious to us. Or a broken commitment Like if we break a commitment that we give somebody else, we give them our word and we fail in our integrity that we don't live up to our own word, the effects of that are felt. The harmony between the ships is broken. There's collisions that take place and it's catastrophic. Or even shoddy work. When you think about, oh, like the integrity of my work, it didn't live up to the, the standard by which I expressed it. And so it's felt by those people, the, your customers that are waiting on your work for it to be fulfilled to a certain stance because they need it within their home, within their car. Every single one of us, when we've had shoddy work, it, brings, it makes us upset. People's lack of integrity when it comes to the work, it, we feel it. The harmony is broken. We feel that in this life. It makes sense that we start here. But C.S. Lewis says you can't stop here, all right? There's another department by which we have to think about integrity, and it's that of the individual ship, all right? So if we stop at social relations, we, then we think it does not matter what our ship looks like as long as we don't run into other people and disrupt harmony, But C.S. says that for the fleet to sail in formation, each ship must be seaworthy. The engines within each personal ship must be in good order for it to move forward. And here's why, all right? So if you have each individual ship that's part of this fleet and that's moving forward, if you function and you stop at the first one, you're just like, well, I can do what I want as long as I'm not running into somebody else and it's not really causing any harm or foul with anybody. But if you're not thinking through the actual effects that that has on you and yourself internally, personally, then your ship is ultimately gonna break down. And then if that ship breaks down and you have the fleet that's moving forward, there's either going to be a drift or if you're in front of somebody else, it's going to cause a collision that happens. And so it breaks up the entire harmony as well. So what C.S. Lewis is saying is like, if you're thinking about this fleet of ships, it doesn't only matter about the relation between man and man or ship to ship. It also your personal self, the inward harmony that you're experiencing or the wholeness that we just talked about. It matters immensely when we're thinking about the whole course of integrity when it comes to this definition that we've placed, that integrity starts with a wholeness, a completeness for us to move forward in the way that we experience life and that we bring that whole self into every circumstance, no matter what life throws our way. It's not just about you and someone else. It also matters what's going on inside of you. That's what Solomon is trying to bring out for us when he's talking about integrity. Integrity is not just keeping harmony with other people in society. You also have hard work to do within your own self in order that we can move forward in society with integrity if we are to have this big picture of what 
what integrity can actually look like. And so C.S. Lewis, he kind of puts it like this. What is the good of telling the ships how to steer so as to avoid collisions if, in fact, they are such crazy old tubs that they cannot be steered at all? What is the good of drawing up rules for social behavior if we know that, in fact, our greed, cowardice, ill-temper, and self-conceit are going to prevent us from keeping them at all? In other words, if we're to live in harmony with others, which is the goal of integrity, right? That we live in harmony with others, then there must be an inward harmony as well. Our ship it must be seaworthy. The engines and the systems inside of us must be clicking and there must be a wholeness, there must be a completeness, there must be a oneness. And when that happens, then the goal of integrity can be fulfilled. See? This is what Solomon means when he says the integrity of the upright, it guides them. The inward harmony that takes place within each of us, the wholeness that happens inside of us. It's what guides us as the upright. That's what Solomon's trying to pass off to his son. Look, it's not just about relationships with other people and trying to keep the harmony there. You also have hard work to do internally inside of you to make sure that we can continue to move forward with integrity and that we can bring about integrity in our relationships with other people. These people that are the upright, they're not duplicitous. They're not pulled in multiple directions. They're not trying to adapt always and they're being different people at all said points in time. No, they're one, they're whole, and they bring the same whole self in each circumstance, no matter the situation. So this is what Solomon's trying to get at with our definition of integrity, but there's still one other department that we have to consider here for us to get the full scope of what I think Solomon's trying to really pull out in Proverbs, and it's in regards to the final destination of integrity, all right? The final destination, where it leads. So imagine this. If you have that fleet of ships that's up there, you have, you have the harmony that's happening between the ships. You have, personal in, in like, you have personal harmony that's happening inside of you. All of this can be great, but if your final destination is supposed to be New York, but you end up in Cuba, then the voyage is a failure, Right? It doesn't matter if there's harmony that's going on between other people and then there's also harmony that's happening inside of yourself. If you really want to have success in the voyage, then you have to reach your final destination, which takes us to the second movement, which is a vision. Where does integrity lead? Well, um, as we, before I dive into this and kind of give it to you, all right, real quick, just step back with me, all right? So think about what's happening here in Proverbs. Solomon, the intent of the book of Proverbs is... Um, that we have this life lived full. And so it's written by King Solomon. He's the king of God's people. And the people of God are the Israelites. He is, Solomon is to lead God's people and to live within God's vision for his people, right? Which is life with God under the rule of God, meaning that it's right, right relationship with God himself and then right relationship with other people. Jesus kind of summarizes all of it in Matthew 20. He says that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Look, that's wholeness, all right? 
your whole being, everything about you, there's wholeness that you are bringing in your love to God. But then also, he says, secondly, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And so King Solomon, he's writing the book of Proverbs to his son, the future king, and how to do this wisely, not just personally, but also helping lead an entire nation and what it looks like to live with integrity. That's what Solomon's trying to pass off to his son. Look, it's not just for you. This is something that I'm trying to give you wisdom and how you lead an entire country and how you live with integrity to be a witness to the watching world. That's what he's trying to place before his son here. Look, I'm not just writing this to you, son, because I want you to live a life of integrity. Well, I do want that because I'm your father and I want what's good for my son and I want you to live a full life. There's also a bigger prize here that God has placed before us and it's that this whole entire nation, this whole people of God, that we're living, they are living under the vision by which God has given us, which is right relationship with him and right relationship with one another. And if that's the case, if that's the case, son, then we have to not only own this and live with integrity, we also have to foster it within our entire community. That's what's the big scope that Solomon's trying to play out here in the book of Proverbs. And so look, the final destination here, if his, if Solomon lives this way, if his son lives this way, they lead well within the people of God and they help foster integrity. There's a wholeness and a completeness to them that then guides the way in which they live. There's harmony between themselves as people. There's personal harmony that's happening inside of them. What's the destination where you end up? It's flourishing. It's flourishing. We see this in Proverbs chapter 11 and verses 10 and 11. Here's what he says. When the righteous thrive, a city rejoices. When a person with integrity continues to move forward and they get opportunity in society and the very integrity by which they live, they're instilling that in the systems that they now give oversight to. It allows other people to flourish. And so the city rejoices. When the wicked die, there's joyful shouting because the duplicity that they brought into society is now gone. Flourishing, Proverbs eleven eleven. a city is built up by the blessing of the upright, but it is torn down by the mouth of the wicked. The people that live with integrity, they're a blessing to the society by which they live in. They are a contribution. They, they bring a sense of wholeness to the society that we as a people long for. It's something that we hope to have ourselves, but it's something that we want in other people too. And what Solomon is saying is like, look, whenever the righteous, they thrive, they're a blessing to the city, but it is torn down by the mouth of the wicked. Those that are adapting, those that are never them true selves, and they're always trying to be a different person depending on the situation, it ultimately ends in the ruin. So the destination of integrity, both personally and corporately, societally, is human flourishing. We see a different picture, um, a similar picture from Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever been given. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14, through 16, we see this. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. 
No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So imagine a community like this, all right? A society of people who are, of this, who are the same regardless of the, cir- of the circumstance or the situation, that their light shines before other people, and when people see them and their good works, they give glory to God because of of the life and the work that they're doing. So imagine this, imagine a community like this. Imagine a community that the people that you see on Sunday, the love and gentleness and kindness that they experience when you're in community with them on a Sunday, that whenever they go into the workplace, they're not the ruthless businessmen that lives entirely different when they're in the workplace, but rather the same conviction and the same love, the same kindness, the same gentleness is brought in every circumstance by which you live. Imagine a people that live by the same convictions, no matter if you're around a group that's on the far left or you're a group on the far right. Your your convictions remain the same. Imagine being around a people that when they're on social media, they're not depicting a different type of life than whenever you're around them personally. Imagine a people that whenever they are thinking about like when you're around them and they're parenting in everyday society, that if you stayed with them for a week or a month, the same type of parenting that you saw from them in everyday society was the exact same thing that you saw behind closed doors. Imagine a community that whenever they gave their word, that it actually was followed through. Imagine a community that cared so much about their work that whenever they They went and they moved forward and tried to do something and they had work that they cultivated with their hands and they had blood, sweat, and tears that they poured into it that it was actually beautiful and magnificent. That's the kind of human flourishing that we're talking about here. That's the type of society that the community that that Solomon is trying to put forward and not just Solomon, but we see also Jesus placing before us that the people that walk with integrity, that bring this wholeness, no matter the circumstance or situation that they walk into, it causes flourishing, not just for you personally, but for all. In a world that craves a genuineness and an authenticity, imagine a community that actually lived it out. Imagine the effects that it would have for people. Imagine how enticing it would be to a people that peered into a community that actually did all of these things. It would be a community where you could thrive, where you can flourish, that you can live the way that you deep down inside long to live. And look, the vision hasn't changed. This was God's desire for the nation of Israel. It didn't happen. It wasn't fulfilled. But it's also his vision for his church. This is where he wants us to go. That's the destination. That's where living with integrity in relationship with other people internally, that's the final destination that we're looking to go. That we get to live in a place in a society when we live like that as a community that all people flourish. 
which leads us to an application. If that's the case, if that's the nation, then how do we live by it? How do we actually live this out? How do we become persons individually, but also communally, where we are a community of integrity? Well, I have two. I have two applications for you, all right? First one is this. First, you have to be made whole. You have to be made whole. The Christian faith is an honest and humble faith, all right? It's honest in that it acknowledges the truth that we are all inwardly broken. There's not one of us that has that wholeness, that completeness, that perfection that Solomon was trying to spell out for his son. Sin has wrecked havoc on every single one of our souls. There's a fragmentation that's happened in our life that we all have to, when we look in the mirror, be honest that we see the duplicity that's in our life. But it's also humble in that it confesses that it needs someone to fix our brokenness, right? Like if you are looking in the mirror, you can see the the things about yourself that you don't like. You can see the sin that's inside of you. You can see your own duplicity. But whenever you really think about it and you try to pull up your bootstraps and you try to fix it on your own, you realize you have the same struggles that continue to happen in your life. No matter how hard you try, you cannot fix it on your own. And there's a place that you come when you come to Jesus, that you say, I can't do it, I need someone else to do it, and it has to be you. The Christian faith, it turns to Jesus for this healing that we cannot provide ourselves. And Romans 3, through 24 kind of summarizes all of it. It says this, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction, meaning every person deals with sin equally the same. It levels us all out on the same playing field. There is not one person that is above another because every single person has been infected by this sin and it's caused this deep, everlasting need that we cannot fix on our own. And so this is what Paul says in verse 23, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God for verse 24 because it says they are justified freely by his grace, meaning everything that Jesus has done for you and nothing that you have to do for yourself. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of the gospel that God sees our brokenness. He sees our fragmented life. He sees our duplicity. And he says, I'm gonna come down and I'm gonna fix it. And I'm gonna do it in a person. I'm gonna come and put on human flesh. I'm gonna live perfectly. I'm gonna die completely. I'm gonna raise victoriously so that you can have life. In essence, he's saying, I'm gonna be the one that comes to make you whole. And what we, all we have to do is simply put our worst foot forward. And what the Bible tells us is that God is like a heavenly father that's just sitting on the doorstep waiting to run down to us as we come to him with our brokenness, with our need, so he can make us whole. That's the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of God's grace. That he does everything for us that we could not do for ourselves. He's the one that makes us whole. So whenever we have this vision for living a life of integrity, he gives us the wholeness by which we can now live. It's not that we, we come to him and he makes us whole and then it's now by our own strength. We never go past the grace of God. 
He gives us the grace and it's the very means by which, the power by which we now live out of this wholeness. It's the upright, for us that are the upright, it's, this, it's the thing that guides us in this life as a Christian now. That's the good news of the gospel, that we can be made whole. If we want to live a life of integrity, if we want to make our way toward this final destination, it starts with coming to Jesus and saying, I need to be made whole. So Jesus redeems us, and look, he keeps you. There's nothing, absolutely nothing that can take you, pluck you out of the Father's hand. When you come and you place faith in Jesus, he holds you, he keeps you until you see him face to face. Now the second thing for us is that we need to practice certain disciplines in our life. Practice spiritual disciplines, all right? So we, we come to Jesus, he makes us whole, and spiritual disciplines are the habits that Christians have practiced for centuries, all right? This is praying. This is reading your Bible. This is living life in community and sharing your struggles with other people. And the purpose of this is twofold, all right? The first one is that it grows us in holiness. And the second one is that it helps root out the sin and duplicity that is in our life. All right. So when we come to Jesus, he makes us whole. When God sees us now, he sees Christ's perfection and he no longer sees our broken, fragmented lives. Jesus gives us all of his right doing. He took all of our wrongdoing. But the reality is, is we still live in a broken and fallen world in a broken and fallen body, which means that sin is still something that we wrestle with. We know the final result for ourselves, which is that we're gonna be made whole completely when we see Jesus face to face. But the beauty of life with Christ is that we get to live our future presently now. That this means that the things that we've struggled before we came to Christ, we now, through the strength of God, can have victory over these things in our life. And the way that that happens is we do certain things, certain disciplines, we exert uh, certain habits in our life that help us grow into this holiness, but also root out the sin and duplicity that's in our life presently. All right? So, look, you don't stumble into integrity, when we practice this thing of the disciplines in our life, when we pray, when we get into the scriptures, when we get into community and we confess with other people, we grow to be more like Jesus. When you come to the scriptures, we get to see the wholeness of Jesus by which he lived. We get to see how he lived before other people that had broken and fragmented lives. We get to see how he stepped into other people that had brokenness and he made them whole. We get to see how he brought these broken societies and he brought them back together. We get to see how he came to the multitudes as they came to him and he was broken and he had compassion for them because they were sheep without a shepherd. He had this deep, overwhelming compassion for them and he does the same thing for us and he brings us back whole together. And whenever we look at the scriptures, it gives us a picture by which we live. They say that every 30 days, we forget, for, we forget vision. So whenever we, we live and we think about this reality in our life, we are the people that come back often, regularly, get into the word because it gives us the vision for the life by which we've been called to live. We wrestle with these things in prayer with our God because he's a God who hears us. He's not a God that's off in the distance that's just hoping we figure it out and that we can make it through life until we get to see him face to face. No, he's a God that we can talk to and we can pray with him and we can talk to him about our struggles. And, it means, and when we pray about these things, we have the hope of the Holy Spirit that he steps into our life and the things that we're praying for, that we're asking for, that he does something in our life. 
and it grows us into wholeness. See, the disciplines are like a, a, a sort of farming. It's the, the tilling of the soil of our heart that fosters growth and wholeness. And then secondly, it roots out the duplicity in our life, all right? So roots out our duplicity. Dallas Willard puts it like this. A major service of spiritual disciplines, praying, reading the Bible, living in community is to cause the duplicity and malice that is buried in our will and character to surface and then to be dealt with. So again, Christian faith is an honest and humble faith. When you pray and you read the Bible, it acts like a mirror to us as well. It, only, it doesn't just give us the vision of the good life that we get to live with Jesus now. It also exposes our flaws and our sins. The good news of the gospel, though, is that God is not surprised by any of it. He's seen you completely He knows everything about you more deeply than you know about your own self. So here's the beauty of the Christian life, that whenever it comes, when we sit down with the Bible and it serves as a mirror and we get to see the flaws about ourselves, the things that as we wrestle with the scriptures, we wrestle with God in prayer and these duplicities and these sins, they rise to the surface. We can confess them without fear. You don't have to hide. You have a God that has absolutely 100% accepted you through faith in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that he's going to look at your life and be like, that's new. Where did that come from? This is brand new information. This changes my whole outlook on you. I don't know if I can any longer take you into my family. No, that's not our God. He knows everything about you. There's nothing that surprises him. And so when we see these things that are exposed as we're in the scriptures, we can come and we can confess them freely. Look, not just to God, but to one another. James 5, 16 says this, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be, what? So that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful and it's effective. Look, the practice of the spiritual disciplines, you have to come face to face. And look, some of us need to get more honest about the sin that's in our life. We need to get more honest about the sin that's in our life, and we need to muster up the courage to come and confess it to other people. Confess it to God himself, but you need to confess it to other people. Because we are a people that believe in the truth of God's word. And if what James says is true, when we come and we confess our sins even to one another, there's healing that happens. It brings wholeness in your life. It puts, like we're all Humpty Dumpties and it's like they we're slowly being put back together again. So look, the way of integrity is that first that we embrace that we're not whole, that we're actually really broken. We have really fragmented lives. And then you turn to the one who is whole, who is perfect, who is complete. And Jesus, he puts you all back together again. And then secondly, we foster wholeness. We root out sin and duplicity through the practice of these disciplines. We're people that pray. 
We're people that get into God's word and we wrestle with the vision that God places before us of how we're to live this Christian life. We also wrestle with the sin that's deep down in our soul and we are not the people that hide in isolation, but we bring it to the light, we confess it, and when it happens, you are healed. As we do this, God makes us seaworthy and we become a community that blesses those that are around us. We live as whole people in right relationship with God and others. So David Brooks, um, he ends his section on this resume and eulogy virtues, depicting what it's like to encounter a person who actually possesses these eulogy virtues. And I think it ties everything that we've discussed together this evening. Here's what he said. It's a little long, but it's beautiful. So read it with me. Me, I'll read it over you. You can read it. You know what I'm saying? It's not underlined. So you're fine, okay? You're okay. Here's what it says. Occasionally, even today, you come across certain people who seem to possess an impressive inner cohesion. They're not leading fragmented, scattershot lives. They have achieved inner integration. They're calm, settled, and rooted. They're not blown off course by storms. They don't crumble in adversity. Their minds are consistent and their hearts are dependable. Their virtues are not, uh, are not the blooming virtues. I got lost. Not the blooming virtues you see in smart college students. They are ripening virtues that you see in people who have a, have, have a little have lived a little and have learned for joy and pain. I promise I can read. They have not led lives of conflict-free tranquility, but have struggled toward maturity. They've gone some way toward solving life's essential problem, which is that as Alexander, I don't know how to say that name, put it, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but rather through every human heart. And look how he ends this. These are the people we're looking for. We're all looking for a person that holds these eulogy virtues. We all long to be around people that live with integrity. Deep down inside, you want that to be you. And the hope of the gospel is that Jesus makes you whole. And through the work of the spiritual disciplines, a partnership with the Holy Spirit, you get to live that life of integrity here and now. May God bring us to that destination. Let's pray.